This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. And we're going to continue our study in this great, uh, great book, the first epistle of Peter. And I want you to know that studying the Bible is exceptionally different than reading the Bible. And you, you have to get that concept. Um, but when, you, when you study the Word, and the Scripture teaches us to study to show ourselves approved in the God. When you study the Word, here's what happens. You slow things down considerably. And uh, you, you take it in much, much deeper slower strides. For an example, you could probably start tomorrow and you could open your Bible to the Gospel of John. And if you had nothing else to do for the afternoon and you were a, a fluent reader, you could probably, I would say, and this has given you the benefit of the doubt, you could probably read through the whole Gospel of John in one setting in about two and a half hours, two hours and 45 minutes. But if you're going to study the book of John, it would take you about two years to complete it. And so that's the difference between studying the Bible and reading the Bible. It's, it's a major difference. And that's what we're doing here. Many of you were with us uh, in the whole adventure of James, the book of James. It took us quite a bit of time to get through that. And this, I expect, will be a similar uh, pattern to follow. We are in First Peter and we're in the first word of First Peter. And we have been in the first word of 1 Peter 1 uh, for several weeks now. And that's what we're going to be looking at uh, tonight as well. So I want us to look at this word, Peter, and pick up a little bit where we left off last Wednesday night because we have been in the preliminaries of introduction for you, as I have mentioned, for the last couple of weeks. And where we left off last Wednesday night basically was in the realm of Paul and Peter having a sharp disagreement. They, they were contentious with one another. And I gave you two other Bible examples of where that happened in the Scripture, one from the Old Testament in the days of Abraham and Lot when they had to separate themselves from one another because of the strife between the herdsmen and then I gave you the story, the illustration where Paul and Barnabas had to separate themselves because of a great contention that arose with John Mark. And uh, Paul was determined not to go on the next missionary journey with John Mark. Barnabas thought that he should be uh, the number uh, one candidate to accompany them. And Paul and Barnabas fell out sharply over that. And that led to where Paul ultimately chose Silas to be his 
traveling companion. And so as the scripture says that Paul had to withstand, he withstood Peter to the face about some hypocrisy uh, that Peter was exemplifying. Here's where we pick up tonight. Instead of Peter carrying around a grudge against Paul because of that episode, which by the way, if Peter had carried a grudge for the way Paul handled the matter, then it would have definitely hindered the ministry of Peter. Peter could not have been used in a great and mighty way of God if he was shackled to a grudge. And so, as we saw in the scriptures, and I don't want to be uh, that repetitious and go back and reread those particularities, but the Bible does teach us that Peter navigated his way through that because uh, what Paul was saying was actually the truth. And so here's the thing. Not only would the grudge have hindered Peter's ministry, but it would have also hindered the growth of the church. You have to remember that the local New Testament church was in its infancy, and it was just starting to bloom and flourish. And so it would not have only hurt Peter's ministry, but it would have hurt the growth of the church. So Peter responded well when Paul had to confront him. And from that, if you're working your workbooks, if you're taking notes, this is something that I want you to write down. It's noteworthy and it's something that I believe you can develop in your own heart and in your thoughts. All of us as believers have to be aware that one of the main things that the devil wants to do to us is to divide us. As the scripture says, a house divided cannot stand. And so that's one of the main things that Satan thrills in. If he can divide us as brethren, the devil works very well with division and discord. And I'm going to give you several scriptures that accompany that tonight, and I want you to write those down. So look with me, if you will, tonight in the book of Proverbs. We'll start there in Proverbs chapter 6, and you make footnotes. I don't have these particular scriptures uh, written down for you. And those of you that are watching at home, I hope that you're following along with us and that you likewise are making notations as well. But I want you to see what the Bible has to say in short about this thing of allowing the devil to cause us as believers to be divided. And uh, which, by the way, uh, the offspring of that is discord. But in Proverbs chapter 6, I want you to notice this with me in, in beginning in verse number 16. The Bible says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, Seven are an abomination unto him. And I will tell you that there are more abominations in the scripture than what is mentioned here in Proverbs chapter 6. But for this particular chapter, we read these as follows in verse 17. And these are the things that the scripture is clear about God hating. A proud look, you remember what the word says, that pride comes before the fall. A proud look, a lying tongue, 
and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift to running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and then notice this, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. And so you have to remember that anything that's not in accord is discord. And the Bible calls discord an abomination. And again, the devil works very well with division and discord. Now, the second scripture I want to give you is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 3. I want you to write these references down. You don't necessarily have to write these, copy these scriptures off the screen. You can go back and do that if you prefer in your leisure. But I do want to read them for you and at least give you the reference. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, the scripture says this, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife, and divisions. Are you not carnal and walk as men? All right, this is the byproduct of what the devil tries to accomplish when he begins to divide us as believers. Um, the third reference that I would like to give you is in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse number 10. The scripture says this, now, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions, no divisions among you. That's the will of God. And then in Romans chapter 1, let me give you this. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, Paul said, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division. Romans chapter 16 and verse 17, Romans 16 and 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. And so we have, we have a chemistry in the scripture here in Proverbs 6, Romans 16, and, Rome, and 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10 and 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3. So the scripture's clear on not to allow the devil to create divisions amongst. And listen, he'll do it. Every conceivable way that doesn't amount to a hill of beans. If the devil can get a crack of light on it, he will run a country mile with it. And so that's something that I want to remind you. And there, there is strict uh, admiration in the scripture for us to be aware of these cunning devices of the devil. So it was, I believe, the devil's desire to create contention in the formulation of the early church, uh, but Peter rose above the, the, the snare. He, he rose above uh, the moment. And so there's much to see in Peter's name. Now, I want you to look at the second part of 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 1 because the scripture says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I want us to look at this word just for a moment. 
an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to take a couple of notes on this word, apostle. Peter had a lot of time invested in his walk with the Lord. Three and a half years he spent with Jesus walking the dusty roads of Palestine. And let me remind you of something. Peter was an apostle when Paul was a persecutor. So keep that in your mind here because we know that Paul was not converted until that experience in Acts chapter 9 on the Damascus Road. We see Peter all throughout the Gospels. So Peter was an apostle before or when Paul was a persecutor. Now, the word apostle means a sent one. So I want you to remember this, a sent one. Something unusual about this word apostle that I find in my study comes in line with our Lord Jesus Christ as well. In fact, I want you to see this, and we don't refer to this often, and I don't want to spend a lot of time here. I want to move on quickly, but I want you to see a most interesting verse. As we can associate and affiliate this word apostle with Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 1, look at the scripture carefully. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Do you see that? And you notice that there is a comma behind the word calling. That means to pause, take a break, take a breath. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to go to the book of Acts with me just for a moment because I want to show you some clarity tonight as far as what an apostle was, what, what were the credentials of this apostle thing that the scripture mentions. And it's the second phrase in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 1. All right, so I, I, let's go to, to the book of Luke. Let's look there first. Luke chapter 17, and I want you to look with me. Let's read verses 1 through 5, and, and I'm going to give you the credentials. Luke 17, I'm turning there with you tonight. In Luke 17, and I want us to look at verses 1 through 5. Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and cast into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. And, and this is a beautiful illustration. I've mentioned to you many times that uh, we've gone to the Holy Land. You've seen a millstone. You remember, Debbie, what the millstone was? 
it was it was a it was literally a stone almost as big as this nativity scene here and it and it was round and it had a large hole in the center of it and the illustration jesus has given it would be better for you to tie something of that magnitude around your neck and to be drowned in the sea than to hurt a little child, to hurt uh, one of these little ones. Uh, and that also is talking about uh, young in the faith. But look at this, verse 3. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. If he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Now, verse 5, and the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. All right, now let's go to the book of Acts, and I want to share these scriptures with you. In Acts chapter 1 I want you to see this. Uh, let's pick up in verse number 21, Acts chapter 1 and verse number 21. These are the credentials of an apostle. And this is imperative, I believe, not only uh, to read and to take note where it appears in the scripture, but especially for the times in which we live today. All right, number one. This was the qualification. There are three basic primary qualifications of an apostle. Number one, and we find this in verse 21 in the first part of verse number 22. The Bible says, wherefore of these men, look at this, which have companied with us all the time that Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, now look at this. The same day that he was taken up from us. So the first qualification is this. An apostle had to be one who followed Jesus during his entire earthly ministry, which was three and a half years. From the time that Jesus performed his first miracle at the wedding of Cana of Galilee, this is when his public ministry began, up until the time of his ascension. That's three and a half years. Who followed Jesus during his entire earthly ministry from his baptism. You remember John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. From his baptism to his ascension. All right. The second qualification is this. And the second part of verse number 22 must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection? Which means this. An apostle had to be one who had literally, visibly seen the resurrected Lord. Now the third qualification is found in verse 24 and 25. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast, thou hast chosen. You see that? That he may take part of this ministry and apostleship. So 
the three main qualifications was this. Number one, the individual had to be with the Lord in his entire ministry from his baptism to his ascension. Number two, he had to have visible proof. He had to have been an eyewitness to the Lord's resurrection. That doesn't mean that he had to be standing at the tomb watching the glorified body of Jesus come out of the grave. That's not what it means. But he saw, you remember, after the resurrection, Jesus showed himself alive for 40 days. You remember that? So he had to see the resurrected Lord. And the third one, he had to be appointed by the Lord. So my question is this, because you can get in your automobile tonight and you can ride down Hall Street and Broad Street and all these other places downtown and you can find these little uh, church houses on the street corner and they have this sign out there on the on the pavement, on the wall or wherever it is and they are introducing you to their pastor, apostle so-and-so. Well, that's that's not scriptural, it's not biblical, and it's not real. And the reason for that is this, there is no living human being walking this earth today that has been with the Lord for his entire earthly ministry. There's no living human being that's an eyewitness to his resurrection. And uh, the Lord had already appointed uh, those in the scripture. And then when Judas fell out, the Bible says this, from which Judas in verse 25 in the mid part there, by transgression fell that he might go into his own place and they gave forth their lots and the lot fell upon Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So let me say this, don't put any stock or belief into any doctrines that are being pushed in modern day society that there are actual living apostles today that does not exist. It is not biblical. All right. Now, Peter, he seemed to be an obvious leader in this uh, band of men that had been, uh, they were bound together in this ministry. But look at, look at another part in verse number one of First Peter chapter one. You see, there's so much in this one verse. And that's the difference between reading and studying. All right, look at this. Peter, we've discussed him a little bit, an apostle of Jesus Christ. We've established that throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now look at that. Now look at this part. To the strangers scattered abroad. That's the part of the verse that I want to talk about for the next few moments. The word strangers here can be applied to this truth, that this world is not our home. We're all, as believers today, we're only strangers, we're pilgrims, we're sojourners, we are only passing through. And that's something that we have to establish. We are all, as believers, strangers and pilgrims in this world. So I think we have covered verse number one very carefully, and I think that there is a multitude of truths uh, coming out of this one verse. Now let's go to verse number two. And uh, I want to read this passage, this scripture for you, 
in its entirety and then go back and make some comments upon it. In 1 Peter 1, verse 2, because after the word Bithynia in verse number 1, which is the last word in that verse, there is a comma, and then it says elect. You see the, the statement is continuing. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Now look at this. The word elect, it goes hand in hand with the word sojourners in verse number one. And so as believers... Look now, we are the elected or we are elect sojourners. That's a better way to phrase it. The word elect means chosen. That's what you need to understand. And in John chapter 15, verse number 16, we have a beautiful passage of scripture uh, that goes hand in hand with this word chosen. In John 15, 16, the scripture says, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth or go and bring forth fruit that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I want you to see another passage with this word chosen in it, and that's Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 4. I hope you're writing these scriptures down in your workbook. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 4. Paul said this, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And so we look at this scripture again in 1 Peter chapter 1, this word, Elect, chosen, but I want you to go over to chapter 2 for a minute and verse number 9. And that doesn't mean we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I want you to see the comparison in First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The Bible says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, so listen. Foreknowledge is forethought. That's important. God chose us through his foreknowledge. This is, it's, it's one minute before we must end tonight, and this is getting good, but let me explain something to you. And if you attended the master's class in Sunday school, you heard Brother Danny teach on this so well. God never has handpicked people, this crowd to go to heaven and this crowd to go to hell. That's not how he operates. We believe in the free will of man. God never interferes with the free will of man. God extends an invitation to the free will of man. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
That's, an, that's another deep lesson. But let me say this. Even though God doesn't handpick people to go to heaven and you go to hell and you go to heaven, you go to hell, you go to heaven, that's not how he operates. He died on the cross for God so loved some of us, most of us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that some of us, most of us, that whosoever would believe on his name should not perish but have everlasting life. God doesn't pick people to go to heaven and to go to hell because he's playing eeny, meeny, miny, mo with the soul of man. But I will tell you this, because he's God and he's omniscient, he knows. He knows who will and he knows who wasn't going to open their hearts to the Lord. And I will tell you this, I've had some people to ask me, and I'm, I'm over now, and I know that uh, this is beyond our time. We need to dismiss. We've got people in other classes dismissing children and everywhere as well. But I want you to remember something. In the realm of Judas Iscariot, Jesus allowed him to be the traitor because Jesus knew he would never truly really accept him to be the Savior. But I want you to think how close Judas came to the door of heaven. You remember we preached Sunday about only one way, only one door. When Noah was told to build the ark, God said, I want you to build one door. It's three stories high, but one door. Jesus said in the gospel, he said, I am the door. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way. Think about this, when Judas Iscariot met Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was leading that Roman centurion in the darkness of night. Judas went up to Jesus, who is the door, kissed him on the cheek and said, Hail, Master. Now talk about how close can a person be to the door and still not go in? Jesus didn't jerk him in, pull him in. Think about this. Do you remember there's a man in the New Testament where he said to Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian? Do you remember the other guy who said, come back and tell me this again at another convenient season? Think about this. There are people in a Christless, eternal hell, out of darkness at this moment who kissed the door of heaven, who said, not today, maybe a better day. Can you imagine spending eternity in hell with the words, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian going in and out of your memory forever. 
So God doesn't pick you to go to heaven, pick you to go to hell, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, he said, I'll come in to him. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.